Well, as we get ready to shift gears and turn our attention to the to God's Word, we'll be reading out of the 14th chapter of the book of John. John chapter 14, we'll start with the first verse. We'll actually read John 1 through 3. And while you're finding your place and, and, and preparing to uh, to turn, uh, preparing for us to, to begin the sermon. Uh, I will say there's a lot of memories that came back when, when Corey and Jennifer and, and Marie and Jackson, Camden, and Ava Jane came through. Of course, Camden and Ava Jane, they, they weren't even thought of at the time. But uh, I looked at, at Jackson, and, you know, he's, uh, he's grown now. And that's why I looked at him and said, he makes me feel old. Uh, and Jennifer, I, I said something to him. and uh, I said something about there when I said hello to him. And Jennifer made a comment and I said he was still reeling. Because when he was eight months old, I put him on my shoulders in Mitch and Marie's kitchen. And they have a very low ceiling. And so here he is, this eight-month kid, and I banged him right in the ceiling fan. <laughs> and... <laughs> So whatever happens to Jackson, it's my fault. That's what I was trying to say. It's my fault. But uh, I, I remember a lot. I have a lot of fond memories of being out at their house. Uh, and uh, especially when I was first getting acquainted, let's say, before I'd even been saved, uh, they would accept, they would accepted me in their home. And, and I remember before. Then, you know, they would always get together and it would be Amy and I and it would be, uh, if you know Shane and Angie Simmons, they would be there. Jennifer and Corey would be there. A few others would be there from time to time. Angie's, uh, Angie's sister would be there sometimes. But they would pull out the Bible trivia game with regularity. It would come my turn, <laughs> and they would ask me a question. It could be the easiest question in the world. I had no clue what the answer was, and I'm thankful that they ex they they tolerated my ignorance uh, for a short time, and I was still pretty ignorant, and uh, don't know everything, or never will. But I'm really thankful to them for everything they did for me in my life, and so I'm thankful they're here this morning. We're going to start with the first chapter of John, chapter 14. John, chapter 14, verse 1. Let, let not your heart be troubled. Be you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so... I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And that's where I want to stop, right there. And I'd like to use for a title this morning, Let Not Your Heart Be Troubled. Let Not Your Heart Be Troubled. There's a famous political commentator, and he uses that quite often. 
but I don't necessarily always agree with the context in which he uses it because he uses it in a political context. And Jesus is talking here and he's just finished, uh, or actually he's, he's just finished a conversation with Peter in, in which Peter has in his boldness declared that he would go with the Lord even unto death. And Jesus has replied to him, and, and and this is the this is when he says that you know verily verily I say unto thee that the the cock the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Nevertheless, let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. Why? Because what Jesus was about to do, you can't do it. <laughs> it's not your time to do it. One day, you're going to drink from that cup of wrath, but today's not the day. Because the walk that Jesus was going to make was a lonely walk, wasn't it? You see, we in our, our zeal and our vigor sometimes think, well, we can do this, uh, and we don't ask if it's the will of the Lord that we should do this. And so Peter said, I'm going to do this. And the Lord said, no, you're not. Not only are you not going to do it, you're going to deny me three times. But nevertheless, let not your heart be troubled. And we can hear, we can see that and the way that that's lined up, the way John lined that letter up. And you can say, well, how can he say that? Because remember what he said to Peter. He said, but nevertheless, Satan has has desired to have thee that he may sift thee with wheat as wheat. But nevertheless, I've prayed for thee. Jesus had interceded on the behalf of Peter, hadn't he? Now, I said that Jesus was going to have a lonely walk. And he did. In this world, he said, the birds of the air have nests and the, the foxes of the, have, have, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. Jesus, while he was in the world, he, he knew loneliness, didn't he? He knew long-suffering. Well, he knew suffering. He knew, he knew everything that we experience in our life. He knew loss. He experienced loss. He loved Lazarus. And when he stood there before the grave of Lazarus, he wept. Not a false pretense wept or weeping like the, the Pharisees, but it was a genuine weeping and it was a genuine outpouring of sympathy toward Mary and Martha for the loss of Lazarus. But you know, Jesus, we see here, Jesus is marching on his way to Calvary here, isn't he? And he tells the apostles, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God and believe also in me. We think about the night that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. 
and how that after they had observed the Lord's Supper and the and the uh, and the uh, uh, and the items that bro- uh, that are part of the Lord's Supper, the bread which is broken, which reveals the body, which which represents the body of Christ, which is broken for us, and the blood which is uh, embodied in the wine, uh, which was uh, poured out on the the ground there at Calvary's cross, that you and I might receive the forgiveness of sins. You know, each one of us is a sinner. We're born in sin. We've got nowhere to go but uh, to the grave. We're all marching there, uh, but our march isn't nearly as lonely as the one that Christ had. And I don't believe you can really go anywhere in Scripture and exemplify how lonely of a walk that was for the Lord Jesus Christ than you can in two places of Scripture. Now, we're studying Absalom's rebellion on Wednesday nights, and uh, and, and we're having some good studies and good conversations around that. Uh, but there's one in, one one. One picture, there's one thing that happened during that course after David had fled uh, from Jerusalem and, and he's uh, and he's gone away. Uh, Absalom has ascended to the throne uh, and taking it, taking it from his father David. And we read in 2 Samuel chapter 15 verse 30, we read this, that when David went up by the ascent of, the, of Mount Olivet and, and wept as he went up and he had his head covered and he went barefoot and all the people that was with him covered every man's head and they went up weeping as they went up. David wasn't alone when he went up the Mount of Olives, was he? He had a great multitude of people. Upwards of 10,000 people that were weeping with the king. And remember, that bold proclamation that Peter made. See, Jesus was omniscient. He knew what was coming down the road. Peter didn't. And sometimes in our lack of knowledge, we will, uh, in good uh, faith, uh, with good intentions, uh, maybe make a statement or take an action that's well-intended, but is against God's will, isn't it? Peter did that at various times, many times Jesus looked at Peter and said, Satan, get thee behind me. We see David going up the Mount of Olives and he's got a throng of people weeping with him. We look in Matthew chapter 26 verse 40 and we see Jesus coming out and after they had, uh, after they had observed the Lord's Supper, uh, after they had observed the last Passover and then the Lord's Supper, here they come out as they are singing a hymn and they go out in the Mount of Olives in that exact same place as David went up. Here they come out, and Jesus, he chose three disciples specifically to come with him. He chose Peter, and he chose John, and he chose James, the sons of Zebedee. And he left those three, and he went off a little ways to pray. And while he was praying, he was praying so earnestly that his sweat became great drops of blood there in the garden. And as he's praying, and he's praying to the Father, he comes back and he finds what? He finds his disciples asleep. And so here in the very same place where where, where David's mourning 
the rebellion that's led by son Absalom. Here, Jesus, we see, is all alone. Even though he's in the company of his apostles, he's all alone, isn't he? As he gets ready to go to the cross at Calvary. But nevertheless, he says, let not your heart be troubled. And you say, well, how in the world can you do that? First and foremost, Jesus is talking to a saved, regenerated group of people here, isn't he? And so if you want to have a heart that is at ease and at peace with whatever may face you in life, the first thing that you have to have fixed is you have to have a right relationship with God, don't you? If you don't have a right relationship with God, you're not going to be able to experience what Christ is teaching here when he says, let not your heart be troubled. Because this world, I've got news for you, is full of trouble. Job said it, man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. This world knows nothing but trouble. And being saved doesn't mean you're exempted from experiencing the trouble of this world. As a matter of fact, it means you're probably going to get more of it. And you say, well, how in the world can a man let not his heart be troubled? Paul wrote about it, Romans 8, 28. Most of us know this verse just by uh, just by memory. Uh, and we know that all things work together for the good to them that love God. You can love, you can have a love for God, but not love God. <laughs> I've heard plenty of people say I was raised in church and I, I knew I, I had a love for God, but I didn't love God because why? Because you didn't have that firsthand knowledge and love of God because you hadn't been saved to them that are called according to His purpose. Is the, is the finish of that. In Psalm 30 and verses 4 and 5, it says, Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of His, and give thanks at the remembrance of His holiness. Well, God is holy, isn't He? You know what He said? Be ye holy as I am holy. For His anger endureth but for a moment. You want your heart not to be troubled. <laughs> you have to understand that you have to be freed from the wrath of God, don't you? <laughs> how can a man be happy and how can a man be, be, be comfortable and how can a man be content in this world uh, and how can a man have a heart that's not troubled even though he may have a storm going on around him? How can he be in such a state and not know God, because the anger of God abideth on who? On the children of men, doesn't it? By nature, the wrath of God abides upon us. And so we read here. And he says, but his anger endureth for a, but a moment. When you get under conviction for the salvation, when you get under conviction for your sins, 
you'll experience the anger of God. You'll be made to know that you're an enemy of God and rightfully uh, the, the wrath of God abides upon your head. But the psalmist Contra, he, he, the, the psalmist juxtaposes that. But he says, but in, in his favor is life. That is in grace. In the grace of God, there is life. And so if you're here today and you don't know God and the free pardon forgiveness of sin, there's nothing I can do to give it to you. I can't call you down here and have you shake my hand. I can't have you repeat something. I can't, I can't have you do anything, uh, because anything that we add to it, contaminates it. You've got to come down, or you or you don't have to come down here. Maybe you're not comfortable. Stay right where you're at. You've got to seek the Lord while it is day. You better seek Him right now because there is no promise of another tomorrow. There are people every day that wake up and they die in the course of that day. And do you know what? They never had scheduled to do that day. They never had on their schedule that day to meet the Lord face to face. But that's what happened, isn't it? Because it's once appointed unto men to die and then after that, the judgment. And that's what we experience. But God, but Jesus brings grace, doesn't he? And in grace is life. In grace is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy, joy cometh in the morning. I've been in a lot of services when the morning broke and it was midnight. <laughs> <laughs> or it was 11 o'clock, or it was 10 o'clock, or, you know, it was nighttime, but it was morning in the house of the Lord. It was morning in God's house. It was late when Lily got saved here at Faith a few years ago. It was bright as day uh, in the middle of the night that night, wasn't it? How does a man stand before his countrymen and relate to them with specificity the history of their people and have it rejected and be stoned but be rewarded while he stands there that's what Stephen experienced, wasn't it? He looked up and he said, Behold, he saw the glory of God and he saw Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Jesus said, I went to prepare a place for you. Stephen got to see that place, didn't he? I'm going to tell you for myself, there's, this world leaves little to be desired. <laughs> We can have nice physical, temporal things, and God does provide those temporal things that we need, but those temporal things won't provide an ounce of peace, but the Lord will. 
Stephen says uh, he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open. Jesus looked at his forever home, or, Satan, or Stephen looked at his forever home, didn't he? The Bible calls it our long home. It's a place where it doesn't matter how long you've lived in this world. You may live to be 120 years old. The amount of time, if you've been saved, that you will live in heaven will make that but a distant memory. We'll have been there 10,000 years, Sister Carter. We'll have forgotten about everything that this world had to offer, won't we? Because we'll be in the presence of our Savior. In the presence of our Savior. Now, you know there's an opposite from that reality. Those of us that's been saved will be in the presence of God. Those that die and they're not saved, they'll be in an alternate reality, won't they? They'll be in a they'll be in hell for eternity. Where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Where the, the rich man looked up and saw Lazarus afar off across a great gulf. And he said, Lord, send Lazarus that he may dip his finger in water and just cool my tongue for I'm tormented in this flame. That's the other reality, isn't it? Well, we can preach the one, but if we, if we neglect the other one, we're lying. Jesus never intended for anybody to inhabit that place. It was created for Satan and his angels that rejected their first habitation. They were in heaven and they rejected heaven and they chose rather hell. Jesus said, where, where I am, that there you may be also. Jesus has a desire that every person would be saved. The salvation of the Lord is a whosoever will salvation. Paul wrote it this way. I have not seen, ear hath not heard, Neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. We can't even wrap our minds around the creation that Jesus is making now. Don't you want to be there? I miss Brother Glasscock, but I will promise you this. Brother Glasscock doesn't want to trade places with either one of us this morning. But if you're saved, if you're here and you're saved this morning... You don't have to wait to declare your citizenship in that far off place, do you? In that land where Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. In the place where he said, in my father's house there are many mansions. There's room for everybody in God's house sitting there. 
Whosoever will type of salvation is to everyone that would believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so here we see Jesus saying, uh, there's room for everybody. And Paul writes in the Philippian letter, he says, Our conversations in heaven from whence we also look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. I'm looking forward to the day when I've got a body that will never know sickness, will never know pain, will never know any of the troubles and trials that come upon it in this life. Uh, it'll never know epilepsy or it'll never know high cholesterol. It'll never know any of those things that contaminate and pollute it because it'll be like the Lord's. John said, we don't know a lot, and I'm going to paraphrase him here, but we know this, that as he is, so shall we be. <laughs> With one major differentiator, right? He'll still bear the marks that it cost for us to, to get there. Isn't that amazing? We'll be like him. He's going to share his glory with us, but he's going to keep the marks that showed us the price that it, that, that it took for us to be able to be there. It required him spilling his life's blood on Mount Calvary for each person to be saved. And I've heard people say God is love, and God absolutely is love. But if you reject his only begotten son who freely sacrificed himself on Calvary's cross. Well, I'm just going to be honest. I've heard it said God won't send anybody to hell. And I've heard people say that you choose whether or not you're going to go to hell. And I believe there's a little bit of truth in both of that, but I believe this, if you reject the offering of Jesus Christ at the Cal on, the, on the cross of Calvary, uh, and you expect that God's going to stand, that you're going to stand before God, and He's going to look at you with mercy and with love, having rejected His only begotten Son, I'm afraid I've got bad news for you. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen because he who sacrificed his life is the one who's going to be making the declaration. Jesus is the judge. Now I want to finish up with three questions. There's three questions answered through the rest of this uh, uh, through the rest of this chapter, and I'm going to touch on each one of those, and I'm just going to touch on them very briefly. And so Thomas here he hears these things that Jesus says, uh, starting with the fourth verse here, and Jesus says this, and whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. And Thomas looks at him, poor old Thomas, uh, always asking the craziest things, right, needing that material, needing to see it. says, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and the way, and we can, and how can we know the way? What does Jesus say? He says, Thomas, I am the way. If you want to enter into the sheepfold any, any way other than through the door of Christ, I've got bad news for you. It's not going to happen. If a man climb up some other way, he'll be accounted and treated as a thief and a robber, and, and he'll be dealt with in like way, in, in like, uh, in like fashion. Jesus said, I am the way. 
I am the truth. And look what he says, I am the life. What did the psalmist write? In, 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 the, in, in, in his favor is life. You don't have life without Christ. I've got news for you. You've, you're living in illusion without Christ. You go to funerals nowadays and they say, we want a celebration of their life. Well, if you didn't mention anything about Jesus Christ, you didn't mention anything that's going to be of any enduring substance. You just mentioned a bunch of worldly temporal things that they might have enjoyed, but you didn't tell them anything that's going to get them any closer to God. My grandma's funeral. They said... Let's have a celebration of our life. And I said, I agree. Let's preach Jesus. Amen. And they said, whoa, what do you mean? And I said, you, if grandma was here today and if you asked her if there was life outside of Jesus Christ, she would have told you no. Because Jesus Christ doesn't just give life. He gives life everlasting, doesn't he? That's just an empty, hollow shell. Grandma's moved on. I remember that day like it was yesterday. And uh, I, look forward to, I look forward to the day that we can stand around the throne of Jesus and worship our Redeemer together. Now, I'll tell you what, if you want to talk about looking into heaven and, 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 and seeing something that a former loved one who was here that you loved and doing something in heaven with them that's worthwhile, that right there is it, isn't it? Standing with them, because I don't even know that I'll know grandma's grandma in heaven. I, I, I highly doubt that I will. Because we won't bring anything from this world with us. Nothing in this world will bring with us. But we'll stand around the throne in heaven and worship and praise him one day. And Thomas says, Lord, we how can we know the way? Jesus says, Thomas, I am the way. I am the I am the truth and I am the life. And any man who cometh unto the Father, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. And then Philip chimes in and he says, Lord, show us the Father. Right? We need to see the Father. You know what? Moses didn't even get to see the Father on Mount Sinai. <laughs> He said, no man can look on my face and live. Nevertheless, yet as I pass by, I'll cover your eyes and you can see my backside. And remember the effect that it had on Moses when he came down off Mount Sinai and his face shone to such a degree that it scared the people that they had him to veil his face. And you're going to tell me, show me the Father. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The last question in this chapter, though, comes from a man of scrupulous character. <laughs> comes from Judas Iscariot. And Judas is going to ask in a question and reveal what's really important to Judas. Because in the first two instances, Thomas and Philip, they're just speaking out of ignorance. Judas asked him, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself to us 
and not unto the world? That's a really good question, isn't it? Especially if you're approaching it with a temporal frame of mind. And all of these questions have been from a temporal frame of mind. How can we go there? Show us the Father. Let us see it. We want to see what we believe, don't we? But the Bible's, the problem with that is the Bible says that isn't faith. We want to believe, we want to act like seeing is believing. No, believing isn't seeing. Faith is the substance of things not seen. It's the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. That's how it goes. Hebrews 11, 6. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. And so Judas's question is a little bit of a different tone to it. And Jesus answers it with a different tone. He says, if any man love me, he will keep my words. And my father will love him and he will come and, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. If you're here today and you're saved, aren't you thankful for the indwelling spirit of Jesus Christ? Aren't you thankful for the knowledge that that brings with it? For the peace that, it, that, that comes with it? And that's what ties all of it together. How is it that you can be in a place full of trouble and not let your heart be troubled? Because everything around us today tries to keep us stirred up and troubled. If it's not a virus, then it's an election. If it's not an election, it's a natural disaster. If it's not a natural disaster, it's a man-made disaster. If it's not a man-made disaster... It's always something, isn't it? They're all The world is always yanking your chain, trying to make sure that you're in a state of trouble. Let me tell you something. Twenty. I'm going to read the 26th through the 28th verse, and we're going to close. How is it that you can let your heart not be troubled? But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. If you're here today and you're lost, the first job of the Holy Ghost is to convict the world of sin. Where does he do that? He does that in the hearts of unbelievers. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. And this is the key. Peace I leave with you. Well, how do you live in a world full of trouble and not be troubled? Well, you got to be at peace with God, don't you? Are you here today and you're at peace with God? Then praise God for the peace. Are you here today and you don't have the peace of God and you know it? Then seek God for the peace that comes with the knowledge of Jesus Christ and the salvation of the Lord. 
God made a plan for us to be saved. That's why we're hot. We may be made a little lower than the angels, but that's for the suffering of death. But know this, we will sit and judge angels. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, and neither be afraid. Don't worry about what comes down the road. We serve an omniscient, omnipotent, immutable God. We serve the God of glory. We serve the God that created this world. Who are you serving today? Who's your, who's your employer? Who is it that you serve? That's my question for you here today if you're lost. Who are you serving today? If you're here and you're saved, who are you serving today? We better know who we're serving and we better know the peace that comes with him. That's our message. Brother Williams, if you've got a song.